As we're heading into another Christmas season, you're probably looking forward to revisiting many of your favorite Christmas stories. Whether they're in the form of movies or television specials, storybooks, or if you're like me, Christmas stories on vinyl record or from the world of old-time radio. The particular mix of Christmas stories that you know and prefer are themselves part of a story all their own. The story of your Christmas experience, and by extension, the story of you. Storytelling is likely the first human art form, and certainly one of the things that makes us human. Researchers have even been able to show that over the millennia, the human brain has adapted to understand and store information in narrative form. More than mere entertainment or escapism, stories are literally how we think, and how we understand the world, and each other, and ourselves. They reflect our values and concerns, and in turn go on to influence those values and concerns. So it follows naturally that our Christmas stories, and how they've changed over time, can serve as a sort of lens through which we can view various parts of our history. 19th century American history, for example. And in today's episode, that's exactly what we're doing. I'm Ryan Earle. This is Christmas Past. Yes, it's a cliché, but it's true nonetheless, and when it comes to Christmas, it always bears repeating. The only constant is change. The Christmas we celebrate today is simply the latest iteration, and it too will one day belong to Christmas past. And with all the talk we hear these days about Christmas becoming too commercial, or coming too early in the year, or straying from the true reason for the season, it's easy to imagine that, say, 200 years ago, Christmas was pure and unambiguous, unsullied by contemporary concerns and interests. But that's just wrong. I think we have this idea that Christmas past was a golden age in some ways where Christmas wasn't influenced by uh, contemporary political issues, where it wasn't subject to fashions and and change and a constant sense of flux. At no point in the 19th century anyway was Christmas a stable thing. And at no point were the stories that that we told about Christmas uh, a stable thing. Thomas Smith is a professor of American literature and culture at the University of East Anglia in the United Kingdom. He's the author of the new book, Christmas Past, an anthology of seasonal stories from 19th century America. Christmas is in constant churn throughout the 19th century. And the the, the stories that are told about Christmas um, at every point reflect the broader political and, uh, and literary culture of America. You might assume that one of those concerns was maintaining the spiritual and religious core of Christmas. But you'd be wrong there, too. That is something that people may be surprised about. I think what you can see in this collection and across the development of 19th century literature is that religion is the, has a very ambiguous place in Christmas for lots of, lots of the 19th century. Um, there are plenty of um, religious Americans who, who don't celebrate Christmas in the early 19th century and who actually are very suspicious of Christmas as a celebration. And I think it's only when you really get into the late 19th century that popular literature starts to actually reflect uh, a new sense of a relationship between religion and Christmas. So what do we find in the Christmas stories of the 19th century? And what does it tell us about ourselves and how the Christmas celebration has evolved? In the antebellum era, whether that's um, questions of slavery, um, the experiences of the enslaved um, during Christmas time, uh, and uh, other abolitionists attempting to, um, to, to point out the wrongs of slavery, uh, and that goes through the Civil War. Again, the Civil War absolutely is reflected in American uh, in American Christmas stories. Um, it becomes a very partisan event uh, at that point in American life. That partisanship came in the form of various political factions attempting to align with Christmas and with different regions hoping to claim Christmas as their own. At the same time that 
Christmas becomes quite closely associated with the abolition movement at the same moment that people who are enslaved, who um, escape from slavery, people like Frederick Douglass, of course, most famously, and who tell their life story, that they also use Christmas as a way to, to critique slavery and to point out the hypocrisies of the slaveholding South. At that moment, the South itself also tries to establish the idea that it really is the true home of Christmas in America. Um, of course, in the North, there's the Puritan legacy. Um, so there's still a suspicion around Christmas for a large part of the 19th century. And so the South tries to say that we had Christmas first and uh, we do Christmas best still. Famous Southern writer from the antebellum years called uh, William Gilmore Sims writes a number of um, early Christmas stories in which uh, he features um, plantations, Christmas celebrations within the South um, and makes those kind of arguments. Uh, and they circulate quite widely. They circulate in the North as well as the South. They're published uh, in Godey's Ladies Book, for example, which is probably the, the biggest publication of, of the antebellum era. That rivalry between North and South even takes the form of seemingly more trivial arguments like who is the official Christmas gift bringer. Uh, in the North, uh, Santa Claus to Nicholas um, establishes himself uh, very early. But uh, in the South, you get writers uh, both before and after the Civil War claiming that um, that Father Christmas uh, visits the South and he really is the uh, the true spirit of Christmas. So even that has a partisan element to it. This period and the stories it produced are reflected in Professor Smith's book with stories and excerpts from Harriet Beecher Stowe, Frederick Douglass, and Louisa May Alcott, among several others. After which, we take a tour through post-war America, where the Christmas stories we see from writers like Bret Hart, Rebecca Harding Davis, and Henry James are wrapped up with a broader American literary migration away from the romance and sentiment of the antebellum era to a new vein of literary realism. And that's one of the things I was fascinated about when I was researching this book, is the degree to which um, Christmas has a major role to play in that. Um, so, for example, probably the most famous literary critic uh, in American life in, in the late 19th century is William Dean Howells. And when he's trying to formulate a new vision for American literature, he spends a lot of time thinking about Christmas. And for him, the ubiquity of the Christmas story is a problem. As far as he's concerned that, you know, Dickens did what he did, did and that was fine. He's willing to tolerate some of that still. Um, but as far as he's concerned, there's been a big dropping off in, in quality of, of, of Christmas literature after Dickens' death. Uh, and so he's trying to, to push American writers to either move away from the Christmas story or to try and imbue the Christmas story that they write for periodicals and magazines every year um, with a new sense of literary realism, a new attention to the lives of Americans. And we can trace that really through, through the rest of the late 19th century. We have, I've got some local colour writers in there, as they're called, like uh, Mary Wilkins Freeman, who uses the Christmas story, I think, to give a kind of subtle feminist critique uh, in the story that's in his collection, Christmas Jenny. And then you get writers like Pauline Hopkins and Charles Alexander Eastman, uh, who, are, who are using the Christmas story to negotiate their place as Americans, whether that's Black Americans or Native Americans, um, and to, to think through the ways in which the Christmas story both is inclu inclusive and often exclusive of people as well. So you get people challenging that narrative as well. And Professor Smith's book finishes out the 19th century with more stories further illustrating the various ways that Christmas is used as a point of protest. Whether that's from black writers like Pauline Hopkins, who's in this collection, um, pushing back against um, the, the, the Southern narrative of Christmas, or whether it's from a Jewish writer like Abraham Kahan, who uses Christmas as a way to think through the experiences of Jewish immigrants, um, or whether it's from someone like Charles Alexander Eastman, um, who's a Native American uh, and who is... Um, present in the aftermath of the, the massacre at Wounded Knee. 
uh, which happens at Christmas time. Let's fast forward to present day. Take a look at the Christmas stories we produce now. It would seem that the majority of new Christmas stories fall into one of two categories, romances and children's stories. Given all the ground we've just covered, you might get the impression that we've hit a rut, possibly even stopped evolving altogether story-wise, opting for telling the same kinds of stories that are bankable and efficient to mass-produce. But that's not a new concern. In fact, it's one of the oldest. Pretty much an eternal complaint <laughs> about the stories that we tell at Christmas. Um, and you see that coming time and again throughout the 19th century. So, for example, at the, in the early years of, of, of a developing literary culture at Christmas, um, so after Washington Irving, around the 1820s, 1830s, 1840s, gift books are enormously popular. And they're, they're, they're really an important part of American literary life, I think, because um, not only do they help to stimulate the American publishing market because people are buying each other books as early Christmas presents, but they also provide an outlet for um, a vast range of American writers. And it's, it's a guaranteed uh, point of publication every year. So. So, so they're enormously influential for a while, but you get to the 1850s and 1860s and everyone's totally bored of the gift book. It's totally passe, totally yesterday's news. Uh, and again, you get a whole raft of stories that follow in the wake of Dickens and A Christmas Carol, which in many ways replicate the same thing, themes that he's interested in. And then you get to the 1870s after Dickens has died, after endless Christmas issues of Household Worlds and his other magazines. And again, you get people totally saturated with this kind of Christmas story and uh, lamenting the fact they dominate magazines every Christmas and looking for a new Christmas story, a new way to tell Christmas stories. So, so I think actually, you, you know, you're part of a proud tradition <laughs> by looking for um, an, an innovation in, in, Christmas, in Christmas storytelling, because that's always been part and parcel of, of Christmas culture as well. By the time this episode arrives, we'll be getting ready to say goodbye to September. One burr month down, three to go, and 80-something days until Christmas of 2021. Thanks so much for listening, and a big thanks to Professor Thomas Smith. You can find his new book, Christmas Past, on Amazon. Check the show notes for a link. And what I'm hoping that I can find in my inbox is your Christmas memories. Now is the time to start sending them to appear in an episode later this season. Even if you've sent one before, I'd love to share another. It could be a memory or anecdote, a description of what Christmas is like in your family or town, or what it was like for you growing up, or even just your favorite things about the season. Record it into your phone's voice memo app and then send it to christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com. Try to keep it reasonably short, clean and family-friendly, and be sure to say your name and where you're from. I'll be back again soon, and until then, let me remind you that Christmas Past is produced in wonderful Willow Glen, California, by yours truly, Brian Earle. Connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and join our private Christmas Past Facebook group if you haven't yet to celebrate with us all season long. And if you're feeling the Christmas spirit, why not help more people discover this show? It's as easy as telling a friend about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do leave a review, I'll be happy to send you a handwritten Christmas card and an official Christmas past sticker as my way of saying thanks any time of year. Get in touch for details about that. Until we meet again, may your days be merry and bright.